know, we've been focusing on this theme of fight, but before we go into that, I just want to make an announcement that next Sunday, we have a special guest coming from San Jose, California. Uh, this young man, Abraham Zuniga. He's a young man that I've met, and I've watched him develop in ministry. Uh, and uh, I've shared with my wife that this year we are going to make sure that we bring some people that are from this generation that have made an impact and are being influential and are being used by God to transform regions. And he is one of them. He is a former worship leader. Now he and his wife are lead pastors of Vine Church in San Jose, California. And I know he's got a powerful word for us next Sunday. He's also an entrepreneur. God has used him in the business world. And uh, he is a sharp guy with a great heart for God and openness to the working of the Holy Spirit. So get ready. Invite somebody to join you for that. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to receiving myself. And so we're focusing on this theme of fight. Say fight. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 states, Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. As we noted last week, Nehemiah here is pointing out the importance of fighting for our brethren. He begins his fight instructions by encouraging us to fight for our brethren. This word for brethren in the original language of the Old Testament Hebrew, it is a primitive word. And it is a word used in the widest sense of literal relationship and metaphorical affinity or resemblance. It's a word that was used to describe a brother of same parents, a half-brother of same father, a relative or kinship, or someone that was of your same tribe. It also is used of having a, a relationship of affinity or closeness of someone. They, If you're close to someone, they're considered your brother or your sister. Now, here's a note to all of us. If the person next to you is a follower of Jesus Christ, they are your brother or your sister in Christ. They are more than a fellow church attender or acquaintance. They are part of your family in God. So I want you to tell somebody next to you, we are family. Yeah. We are family. We literally are. At CWC Live CV, we are family. Now, I want to ask you what I asked them in Cutler. Do you know any members of the Tate family who belong to our church? You guys are looking like the same the way that Cutler looked. The Tate family, yeah. Let me explain. There is old man Dick Tate who wants to run everything. While Uncle Rotate, he wants to change everything. Then their sister, Agitate, who stirs up plenty of trouble with the help of her husband, Mr. Irritate. Whenever new projects are suggested, Hesitate and his wife, Vegetate, want to wait until next year. Then there is Aunt Imitate. She wants our church to be like all the others. 
Then you've got devastate, who provides the voice of doom, while pontentate wants to be the big shot. But not all the families of the Tate family are bad. There's Brother Facilitate. He's quite helpful in church matters. And there's the delightful, happy member of the family, which is Miss Felicitate. And then you got cousins Cogitate and Meditate. They like to think things over and lend helpful, steady hands. But of course, like in every family, there's the black sheep of the family. And that's Amputate. Amputate, who has completely cut himself off from the church. So again, I ask you, do you know any members of the Tate family who attend CWC? Now you're some of you, whoa. I'm watching to see if there's any elbowing. That means you think the person next to you fits the description. Now, Nehemiah here, he exhorted the people of God to fight for their brethren. Now, I want to encourage us this morning to practice two things, especially when we find a need to fight for a brother or sister who has fallen. Let me ask you, have any of you Christ followers ever tripped up in your walk with God? Have you ever fallen down in your journey with the Lord? Then you know what it's like to be down and need of help. And so I want to encourage us to practice two things in fighting for our brothers and sisters who have fallen. I want you to repeat the following. Say, man down, prayers up. Say it again. Man down, prayers up. Now, I'm going to read a passage out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. And I'm going to read it out of three different versions. First of all, from the New King James. It says... If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now look how it reads in the Passion Translation. If anyone observes a fellow believer habitually sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you should keep interceding in prayer that God will give that person life. Now, there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not encouraging you to pray for those who commit it. All unrighteousness is sin. But there is sin that does not result in death. And now from the Amplified Translation. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he will pray and ask on the believer's behalf, and God will, God will for him give life to those whose sin is not leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death, And I do not say that one should pray for this kind of sin. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. One can repent of it and be forgiven. Now, two things. First, John points out over and over, there's a sin that leads to death. Commentators and scholars say that that is a reference to what Jesus stated when speaking of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
When a person attributes the works of God to Satan, when a person says that the works that are being done that are actually God working are the works of a demon or of the devil. But then others say that that sin leading unto death is descriptive of that person who rebels continually with the heart set not on responding to God's convicting work. A person who is set at not responding to no matter how many times God prompts them to turn from their ways. Their heart is set in stone not to turn to God. That sin leads to death. But any other sin, the Bible says, we can pray for a brother who finds himself habitually sinning in an area. They keep missing the mark. They keep falling. They keep tripping up. They keep finding themselves entangled and ensnared. In my own journey, as I was growing up, especially in my adolescence, there was a struggle with lust in my heart. And I could not overcome. Even after coming to Christ, I would struggle. And I could not set myself free from it. And I was close to going over the edge. But I'll tell you, what kept me from going over the edge is a mom and a dad who kept on praying for me. A grandmother that when I was going through oppression, I remember going to her house one afternoon. She had no idea what I was dealing with. But I was in despair because I kept falling in this area. And I kept telling myself, but I want to be free. And my heart wanted to be free. But I didn't know how. I wasn't trained or discipled in the word of how to overcome in that area. And so even though the intent was there, I could, I found myself falling over and over again. But I remember being in my grandmother's house in, in Manteca, California, and I was watching television. And, and I remember that I was there and battling depression and despair because I felt like there's no way I'm ever going to beat this and I wanted to I just wanted to give up but I remember I'm watching television and the next thing I know my grandmother's putting her hands on my head and she's praying in tongues over me and all of a sudden I began to feel God's presence and power And I want you to understand that Pastor Angel stands here today because there were some individuals in my life that practiced what John is writing about. They would not give up on me. They kept praying. And every time they pray, I believe that when I would be struggling and and, and the intent was there, but I would find myself on the ground. The only reason I could get back up because I'm, I'm there and I'm struggling. Somebody is praying for me. And then God would breathe a breath of fresh life in me. And it would give me the strength and energy to bounce back. I want you to know there's power in prayer when you and I set our hearts to call on God for a person who is struggling in the in their walk with the Lord. God can use our prayer to breathe new life into them and get them back on their feet. The great sequoias in our state of California, they hold each other up. They may reach a height of 311 feet. An age of 3,200 years. They often weigh 2.7 million pounds. Their bark on the average is 31 inches thick. Their branches are about 8 feet in diameter. And their base 400 feet wide. If tree roots do not grow deep into the earth, strong winds will soon blow them over. But such is not the case with the great sequoias. 
Their roots barely reach below the surface, but the winds do not bring them tumbling down. You see, sequoias grow only in groves. Let me say that again. Sequoias grow only in groves, in groups. Their roots barely reach down below the surface, yet their roots intertwine with each other under the surface of the earth. So when the strong winds come, they hold each other up. CWC Life family, that's what happens when we as a community cover each other in prayer. We become in prayer when God puts someone on your heart and you make it your intent and your discipline to on the daily, on a continual basis, pray for them. What happens is God begins to knit your heart with them. God begins to tie your roots with them. You become rooted together. And I believe that if this year of 2023, we would grow in sensitivity and responsiveness to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in Him leading us to cover each other in prayer, we will become rooted together and we will find that in spite of the winds of adversity blowing, in spite of the winds of opposition that come, we are going to remain standing strong, sturdy, and stable. Now say this with me. Man down, help up. Man down, help up. In Galatians 6.1 we read, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. You who are spiritual, restore a one in a spirit, notice, of gentleness, meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, this Greek word for restore is kartartizo, and it was used in secular Greek for Mending or setting uh, broken bones as well as mending nets. It was used for setting broken bones and mending nets. Now you understand why the Bible instructs us that when you're restoring, do it with the spirit of gentleness. This word mending, cartartizo, is also defined this way in the word wealth in the Spirit-filled Life Bible. To arrange, set in order, equip adjust, complete what is lacking, make fully ready, repair, prepare. It is used for the disciples mending their nets and for restoring a fallen brother. A pastor by the name of Christopher Hayward, he gives commentary on what Paul instructs us to do here in Galatians 6.1, saying the following, This passage directs qualified spiritually equipped believers to be available to minister restoration to fellow believers who have fallen aside or been trapped or bound by sin. He goes on to point out John chapter 11, verse 44, which speaks of the resurrection of Lazarus from the tomb. And we sang about it today. It illustrates, he says, this principle of Restoratively freeing the bound trapped fallen. Following Lazarus being raised from the dead. 
He is still encumbered or entangled or wrapped by his grave clothes. A man with a new lease on life and yet still needing release from the trappings of the past. The linen strips, grave clothes. He goes on to point out, note that Jesus told his disciples, loose him and let him go. Entrusting the completion of the miracle he began to the care and ministry he assigned. Today, Jesus Christ still entrusts the reborn, forgiven soul to the ministry of caring disciples wherever or whenever bondages residual to an individual's past threaten his or her growth in the family of God. In one news, in one news life, one's new life, justification by faith in Christ grants us forgiveness of all sin. But additional ministry is often needed to help with breaking old sin patterns. This is what God calls us to. Now I want to know, is there anybody here like me? There are addictions. There are bondages. There are weaknesses of your past that God helped you to grow beyond. Then you are called. I am called now to not just celebrate that, but to use what God did in doing the freeing work in us to free those that are still battling and are wrapped up in the bandages and bondages of the grave clothes of their past. You and I are called by God that once we come to that place of being spiritual, which means being free in Christ and growing in maturity, wholeness, well-being, then we are called to look for those that are coming to new life and yet they're wrapped up in the bondages and bandages of past patterns of behavior that keep them tripping up. But the good news is that you and I have the experience of knowing That God is not just good at resurrecting a dead soul. He can free a believer who has been struggling and bring them to the fullness of life that's in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Author and teacher, Dr. Howard Hendricks tells the story of a young man who strayed from the Lord, but was finally brought back by the help of a friend who really loved him. When there was full repentance and restoration. Dr. Hendricks asked this Christian how it felt away from the Lord. The young man said, it seemed like he was out at sea, in deep water, deep trouble, and all his friends were on the shore hurling biblical accusations at him about justice, penalty, and wrong. But the young man continued, but there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. I fought him, but he pushed aside my fighting, grasped me, put a life jacket around me, and took me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored. He would not let me go.
I'm here today. Not because I'm strong. But because I've had people in my life. Who when I was weak. Became a soldier of strength for me. I've told you in 1996. I nearly became a statistic. I was on the edge. I went through a time of enduring anxiety and fear to a level I had never known. I had just returned. In fact, what I'm sharing with you, I just shared with a pastor who is an MFT who was at this conference this past weekend. In 1996, I had gone to Promise Keepers Clergy Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And God had ministered to my heart to such a degree that one of the evenings there, I returned to the hotel room and I began to write down goals that I had as a husband and as a father to my children, not knowing that within a few weeks I would be attacked with an anxiety leading to a depression that I had never known in my life. And it was that situation that caused me to call a 1-800 number that our denomination was offering where you could acquire help by connecting with a Christian counselor. And that's when I was connected with TMI Counseling of Visalia, California. And the head of that ministry, Dan Holford, began to be used by God as a counselor in my life. And he began to help me to unwrap the entanglements that had kept me bound. And I can tell you now that because of that experience, I've learned the benefit of connecting with those who are spiritual. But it was during that season, I remember, during that 1996, in the Easter season, I had asked for six weeks off from doing ministry here at CWC Life. And during that time, we, my wife and I were returning back from the Bay Area. And I told her, I'd really like to go to CWC Manteca. And I'll tell you, I was a broken man. I was defeated in my soul. And I felt... How am I going to wake, work out of this? Now remember, I was battling. I told her, I want to go to service, but then inside of me, it's like, no, just keep going and go back home. You know, that kind of thing. But we went in. Now remember going into the service and I was sitting in the back row and I was a broken, battered, defeated preacher. Now remember my friend, Pastor Dan Vera was preaching a word and the Lord used him that morning. Because he was talking about Jesus on the cross. And he said, and when Jesus was on the cross, before he gave his last breath, he said, it is finished. But he said these words that stuck with me. He says, you need to know that when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say that you were finished. He wanted you to know that no matter where you're at right now, because of what he did on the cross, you can have a new beginning. And I remember that God used those words to penetrate the despair and the torment that was going on in my mind. And and I remember that I was battling as he was making the altar call. But I said to myself, I'm going to go up there. Because my mind was saying, hey, they, they know you here. They know you as a dynamic preacher. They know you as Pastor Angel. And what are they going to think of you going up to the altar? But inside of my soul, I said, I could care less what they think. I need healing. I need restoration. I remember I came up to the altar. Pastor Dan came down to where I was at. And then he called all the pastors of that staff. Come on. 
Let's come around our brother. And that morning, God ministered healing to my soul. Things didn't go away like that. But there I received a fresh, a fresh breath of God. And I said, I'm going to fight. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to be healed in my soul. And I've had people like Bishop Steve Perea who refused during that season to let me go. They put a life jacket on me. And they said, we're going to bring you back out of the deep waters to the shore because God has a purpose for you beyond your pain. That's what it takes. Let me wrap this sermon up. Jim Corley met his friend Alex at the dealership where Alex worked. Here's the conversation that ensued. Alex said, Jim... I feel like a hypocrite every time I go to church because I fail to live for Christ so often. Jim responded, Alex, what do you call this part of the dealership? Nodding to the area outside his cubicle. You mean the showroom? Yes. And what's behind the showroom past the parts counter? The service department, Alex responded confidently. What if I told you I didn't want to bring my car to the service department because it was running rough, Jim asked. That would be crazy. That's the whole point of service departments, to fix cars that aren't running right. You're absolutely right, Jim replied. Now let's get back to our initial conversation. Instead of thinking of church as a showroom where image is everything, start thinking of it as God's service department. Helping people get back in running order with God is what the church is all about. Did you get that? Helping people get back to running order With God is what the church is all about. In the words of David Nasser, the church is a community of unfinished people. The already, but not yet. (laughs) I'm still a work in project. So are you. So don't look at me so holy like that. Let me tell you what I often say and will continue to say. CWC Life, CB, is not a perfect church. Pastor Angel is not a perfect pastor. Oh, I know, I know, it's hard to believe. No, I am not. But this is also what I'll tell you. CWC Life, CB, is a church filled with imperfect people who are willing To be perfected by the perfect God who loves us perfectly. Man down, prayers up. Man down, help up. That's what we are to be about in fighting for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
who have fallen. Heavenly Father, I thank you. As your word reveals, you are the God of all grace. Hmm. You're the God of unmerited favor, unearned kindness. And as the Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I thank you that where sin does abound, your grace does much more abound. And my soul knows it well. And so I'm praying today, Father, for my brother or my sister who is struggling like I've struggled. My brother or my sister who is in the midst of a fight in which they have grown weary and they need prayers. They need help. I ask you, like you did for me on that Sunday in Manteca, stir them up. Arouse them, Lord, within to take the initiative to come before you the one who says come boldly come boldly to my throne of grace and there you're going to find mercy and grace to help you right now at this very moment when you most need mercy when you most need grace So I'm going to open up this front area. We call it the altar. You're here today and say, Pastor, I need prayer. God knows. I want to do what's right. God knows. I want to overcome in what I'm dealing with right now. But I need help. I need strength. I need wisdom. I need encouragement. That's you. Begin to make your way up here. We call this front area a no-shame zone because there is no condemnation here. God's ready to meet with you. My wife said it. The Word says if we draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. This is not about religion. and This is not about relief. This is about relationship. God is ready to have a face-to-face encounter with you. That will lead to transformation. You want that you come right now. And those of you watching online, you call on Him right now. He's ready. He's ready to help you. He's ready to intervene. He's ready to step in and to help you by giving you the strength, the wisdom, the power that you need. Yes. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. This altar's open. You want strength, you come. You need wisdom, you come. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is about you experiencing what God offers. His breath that will give you your second wind. Oh, yes, it will. P.W., lead us.